Please join me in prayer. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated. You know, if you think about it, it's, it's actually really stunning that Jesus was baptized. We're used to it, so we don't stop and think about it. But if you stop and think about it, it's stunning that Jesus was baptized because he's the Son of God. He has no sin. Baptism is all about cleansing of sin and forgiveness and redemption. What's Jesus doing getting baptized? Well, in the text we read, when he has this conversation with John, where, you know, John's first response is, hold it, hold it. Jesus, what are you asking me to baptize you? You know, you need to baptize me. But then Jesus says, we need to do it for all righteousness' sake. And there's a lot to that phrase, righteousness' sake. But one of the things it means is this. It means that when Jesus was baptized, he sanctified baptism. When Jesus was baptized, in baptism, he identified with us. And he came into union with us. So through our baptism, we can be in union with him. Part of what that means. That word for righteousness' sake, that phrase, has a lot more meaning. It's a big concept. But the heart of it is this that, that when Jesus was baptized, he was baptized so that through our baptism we could have union with him. Union. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I'm beginning a sermon series, a five part series, it has a really funky name. It's called Redemption Applied. So I know that sounds groovy and cool and hip. And here's what I mean by that. So think about Jesus and everything Jesus has done. He was conceived. He was born. He lived. He died. He resurrected. He ascended. He's going to come back. That's all the work that Jesus has done. That's redemption accomplished. Redemption, salvation, deliverance from God. That's redemption accomplished. And the truth is, Redemption has been accomplished. Jesus said it on the cross. It is finished. That means redemption is accomplished. But it needs to be applied. It, otherwise, it just kind of floats out here. So the question is, how does it apply to me? How do I get a hold of redemption? That's redemption applied. And we're going to talk about what it means to have redemption applied. What happens when it's applied to this? And we'll look at five things. Today we're going to look at union with Christ, which is the central idea of Christianity, of the Bible, of all existence. And then flowing out of that, we'll look at five other things. We'll look at what's called justification, and we'll preach that now. But basically this idea that you're forgiven, past, present, future. And in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous. It's an awesome truth. Second thing is we'll look at adoption. The idea that, that through God's grace, we are given the status of sons and daughters of the Father through union with Jesus. It's another amazing truth. Third thing we'll look at is what's called sanctification. That's Jesus Christ who's in us. We're in him. He's in us because of union. And he's transforming us to make us like him. The life he lived, his perfect life, he wants to transfer that to us and change us so we're like him. That's growing in Christ. That's sanctification. Then lastly is glorification. That's the future. That's when, just like Jesus rose, one day we will rise 
with him and have glorified eternal bodies in the kingdom forever. So we're gonna, that's where we're going. But today we're going to land on union with Christ. So here's the deal. When you were baptized, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. When you put your faith in Jesus and submitted to him as Lord, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. And when that happened, he brought you into connection with God, the Father, the Son. Especially with Jesus, he brought you in connection with Christ. So Paul writes about that in Colossians. He says when you're baptized, you were baptized into Christ. It's, you know, one of the ways we baptize is by immersion. And it's a picture of what he's talking about. When Christ died, we were buried with him. Christ rose, we rose with him. In our baptism, we're united to Jesus Christ. We're united to Jesus Christ. And that is the central thing about the Christian life. It's the starting point. It's the life. It's the ending point. In Christ, us in Christ, Christ in us. Everything else flows out of that. Everything else flows into it. It's the centerpiece. You are in Christ. Baptized into Christ. So I want to talk about three things that means for you. Three things that means. The first thing it means is this. It means you are participating in God's eternal purpose. I didn't have, we didn't have room to put all the verses I want to look at, so I'm going to read you one that's not in the readings for today. But St. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And he's, I'm picking up mid-sentence. It sounds a little clunky to start, but let me read what he writes. He writes about God making known to us the mystery of his will. Mystery means something that wasn't known before and is now known. That's what he means by mystery. Not a whodunit. Something that wasn't known before but is now. The mystery of his will has been revealed to us. Um, I lost my place. According to the purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time, the end of the age, to do this. To unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. So God's vision, God's eternal purpose, the thing he has always set up to do. Because, you know, there's nothing, God doesn't ever start. Whatever God is, he always is. This has always been his heart. That one day, everything he made both seen and unseen, would be fully united with him by being united with Christ. Christ would be the head, and everything else would be united with him. And the Spirit would infuse everything God made so to be full of his presence and brought into union with him. And at the center of that, the center of that purpose is us. Us. It says in chapter 1 that the church is the fullness of Christ that fills all and is in all. He's the head, we're the body. So much there, so much there. I can't, I can't dwell on this very long. But I just want to say this. There's this cosmic purpose. But when you were baptized into Christ, you intersected with that purpose and you were brought into it. You participate in God's eternal purpose to unite all things in Christ. And it starts in you by you being united to Christ. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Union with Christ means... Everything that Christ is and everything he's done is ours. Everything Christ is and everything he's done is ours. There's a saying in the ancient church. It says, whatever is not assumed is not redeemed. Whatever is not assumed is not redeemed. Here's what that means. In, in his life, 
Jesus assumed every aspect of what it means to be a human being, except for sin, because he was not a sinner. He couldn't be a redeemer if he was. So that means every part of our life, every aspect of who we are, has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so when we are baptized into Christ, we put our faith in Jesus, and we're united with him by the Holy Spirit, everything that Jesus has and has done becomes ours. That's what the meaning of those other four things are. We're declared righteous because Jesus is righteous. We're adopted as sons and daughters because Jesus is son. We're transformed into Christ's likeness because Christ is transformed and holy. And we'll rise from the dead because Jesus will rise from the dead. What is his is ours, and we have it now. We don't have the full experience of it yet, but we have the guarantee of it now. It's ours now in Jesus Christ. That's a high status. That's a high thing. See, the Christian life isn't kind of doing good things and hoping someday I might make it to heaven. The Christian life is being in Christ and Christ being in me and having his life and my life so united that I become more and more like him so that one day for all eternity, my status as righteous one, my status as son or daughter is actually who I really am forever with him in the midst of a new creation. That's what this is all about. That's what this whole thing is all about. So, Union means we participate in God's eternal purpose. You've been swept up into it. Second, it means that everything that Christ has and is, is ours. And lastly, it means this. In Christ's baptism, if you remember the story, the Father spoke. The Father spoke. He spoke over Jesus and said, This one is my beloved. This one is my beloved. Now remember what I just said? Because of union, everything that Jesus is and has is ours. You know what else that means? It means we are the beloved as well. You are the Father's beloved. Just like Jesus is the Father's beloved, baptized into Christ, we are the Father's beloved. Here's what that's getting at. And I don't even know if we can fully comprehend this, but I'll see if I can tease this out a little bit. So God, we believe in one God, and yet he's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three persons have existed in an eternal relationship of love, of utter, other-focused self-giving. And from all eternity, the Father has delighted in the Son. God the Son has always been his beloved. The eternal, endless gargantuan love of the Father set on His Son because we are baptized into Christ because we're in union with Christ and the Spirit. We are now the Father's beloved. That means that very same love that is set on Jesus is set on you. You're in Jesus. You're now the object of it. You are the beloved. I love what Pastor A.J. Sherrill says. To be in Christ is to be the Father's beloved. To be in Christ is is to be the Father's beloved. Now we're going to talk a little bit more how that teases out, especially when we talk about justification. Sounds like a technical word, but I'm telling you, it's a really beautiful doctrine. You're going to love it. And adoption, those two things really tease that out. But, but if I, I, I want to get across one thing today. One thing is this. Christianity is all about grace. It's all about grace. Grace means you don't earn anything. Grace means gift. It's all gift. 
God's gift. And his belovedness is a gift. It's not based on you. There's a lot of my life that I don't think is that beloved. If you just look at how I live. I'm pretty broken. I'm sinful. And God wants to heal that. But he's able in Christ to look at me and say, I see who I'm going to make you. I see that. I look at that. And you are the object of the same eternal love I've set on my son forever and ever. You are an object of that love. That's who you are. That's who you are. Now, here's something I've learned real quick. Just just a side point here. Most of us don't automatically just walk around feeling that. Part of the reason is, you know, in the world, most people don't treat you that way. You kind of have to earn your way. You have to produce. You have to make stuff happen. Right? Some of us, sadly, have family or other experiences where we didn't get loved like we should. So it's just hard to think, how could someone just feel that way toward me? You know, how, how would that work? And plus, you know, I, I know the Bible. I'm a sinner. You know? And God, I've sinned a lot. You have too. And I know that I'm guilty before God. So how, how can you do this for me? Well, we're going to tease that out when we talk about justification. And, and it'll work. We'll get where we need to go. But what I need to say to you is this. This is a truth you have to choose to believe over and over and over and over. You have to walk in it. It's not magic. It's not automatic. You have to choose to walk in it. And today I just want to say to you, if there's not anything else you get out of this homily, that when you leave here, you'd say, I'm going to choose to walk in the truth that the Father, the Father, the author of all creation, has called me his beloved, and I am his beloved. And you would receive that for yourself. I was thinking about what, what is a spiritual practice we could do to kind of cultivate union with Christ or, or help us kind of remember it and walk in it. And what I realized is the church has already given us the spiritual practice. There's one spiritual practice that's all about this. It's this. It's the Eucharist. It's the Lord's table. It's all about that. Union. When we're done with communion later, we'll pray a prayer and we'll say, thank you for revealing to us in these holy mysteries that we are members of your body. Members of you, Jesus, united with Jesus and one with the Father. And so what happens at the Lord's table is through this mystery of the work of the Spirit, Jesus gives himself to us afresh. And we participate again in our union. It's all about our union with Christ. Yeah, Christ bodily is in the heavenlies, wherever that is. But somehow in a mystery, he's with us right now. We are in him and he's in us. And we, we share in that at the Lord's table. And in fact, this is the most important thing we do as a Christian because it cultivates union, which is the central thing in your Christian life. And also, it tells us who we are more than anything else. And it makes us who we are. It makes us the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body, in him, through his life shared with us, Eucharist. So today, when you come to the table, I would encourage you to come, come remembering your union. And remember that when that, that wafer comes in your hand, you either dip or sip the wine, that you're participating in God's eternal purpose. That when you, when you receive the bread and, and dip or sip the wine, that you are 
proclaiming again that all that Jesus has and is, is yours. And that when you receive the bread and dip or sip the wine, that you'll remember I am the Father's beloved. And today you'll come and receive that and walk in that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand.